0: Chapter six of Katrina by Robert Louis Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Wayne Cook. Chapter six Umquil the Master of Lovat. There was a man waiting us in Preston Grange's study whom I distasted at the first look, as we distaste a ferret or an earwig. He was bitterly ugly but seemed very much of a gentleman had still manners but capable of sudden leaps and violences and a small voice which could ring out shrill and dangerous when he so desired the advocate presented us in a familiar friendly way here fraser said he here is mr balfour whom we talked about mr david this is mr simon fraser whom we used to call by another title but that is an old song mr Fraser has an errand to you with that he stepped aside to his bookshelves and made believe to consult a quarto volume in the far end i was thus left in a sense alone with perhaps the last person in the world i had expected there was no doubt upon the terms of introduction this could be no other than the forfeited master of lovett and chief of the great clan, Fraser, I knew he had led his men in the rebellion. I knew his father's head—my old lords, that gray fox of the mountains—to have fallen on the block for that offence, the lands of the family to have been seized, and their nobility attainted. I could not conceive what he should be doing in Grant's house. I could not conceive that he had been called to the bar had eaten all his principles and was now currying favour with the government even to the extent of acting advocate deputy in the appen murder well mr balfour said he what is all this i hear of ye it would not become me to prejudge said i but if the advocate was your authority he is fully possessed of my opinions i may tell you i am engaged in the appen case he went on I am to appear under Preston Grange, and from my study of the precognitions I can assure you your opinions are erroneous. The guilt of Breck is manifest, and your testimony, in which you admit you saw him on the hill at the very moment, will certify his hanging." "'It will be rather ill to hang him till you catch him,' I observed and for other matters i very willingly leave you to your own impressions the duke has been informed he went on i have just come from his grace and he expressed himself before me with an honest freedom like the great nobleman he is he spoke of you by name mr balfour and declared his gratitude beforehand IN CASE YOU WOULD BE LED BY THOSE WHO UNDERSTAND YOUR OWN INTERESTS AND THOSE OF THE COUNTRY SO MUCH BETTER THAN YOURSELF. GRATITUDE IS NO EMPTY EXPRESSION IN THAT MOUTH, EXPERTO CREDE. I DARE SAY YOU KNOW SOMETHING OF MY NAME AND CLAN, AND THE damnable EXAMPLE AND LAMENTED END OF MY LATE FATHER TO SAY NOTHING OF MY OWN ERRATA. WELL, I HAVE MADE MY PEACE WITH THAT GOOD DUKE. He has intervened for me with our friend Prestongrange, and here I am with my foot in the stirrup again, and some of the responsibility shared into my hand of prosecuting King George's enemies, and avenging the late daring and bare-faced insult to His Majesty. "'Doubtless a proud position for your father's son,' says I." He wagged his bald eyebrows at me. You are pleased to make experiments in the ironical, I think, said he, but I am here upon duty. I am here to discharge my errand in good faith. It is in vain, you think, to divert me. And let me tell you, for a young fellow of spirit and ambition like yourself, a good shove in the beginning will do more than ten years' drudgery. The shove is now at your command. Choose what you will to be advanced in the duke will watch upon you with the affectionate disposition of a father i am thinking that i lack the docility of the son says i and do you really suppose sir that the whole policy of this country is to be suffered to trip up and tumble down for ill-mannered colt of a boy he cried this has been made a test-case all who would prosper in the future must put a shoulder to the wheel look at me Do you suppose it is for my pleasure that I put myself in the highly individuous position of persecuting a man that I have drawn the sword alongside of? The choice is not left me." But I think, sir, that you forfeited your choice when you mixed in with that unnatural rebellion, I remarked. My case is happily otherwise. I am a true man, and can look either the Duke or King George in the face without concern. "'Is it so the wind sits?' says he. "'I protest you are fallen in the worst sort of error. Preston Grange has been hitherto so civil, he tells me, as not to combat your allegations. But you must not think they are not looked upon with strong suspicion. You say you are innocent. My dear sir, the facts declare you guilty.' "'I was waiting for you there.' said I. The evidence of Mungo Campbell, your flight after the completion of the murder, your long course of secrecy—my good young man, said Mr. Simon, here is enough evidence to hang a bullock, let be a David Balfour. I shall be upon that trial, my voice shall be raised, I shall then speak much otherwise from what I do to-day, and far less to your gratification little as you like it now. Ha, ah, you look white, cries he. I have found the key of your impudent heart. You look pale. Your eyes waver, Mr. David. You see the grave and the gallows nearer by than you had fancied. I own to a natural weakness, said I. I think no shame for that. Shame, I was going on. Shame waits for you on the gibbet, he broke in. "'where I shall but be evened with my lord, your father,' said I. "'Aha! but not so!' he cried. "'And you do not yet see the bottom of this business. "'My father suffered in a great cause, and for dealing in the affairs of kings. "'You are to hang for a dirty murder about boodle-pieces. "'Your personal part in it, the treacherous one of holding the poor wretch in talk. "'Your accomplices, a pack of ragged highlanded gillies.' and it can be shown, my great Mr. Balfour. It can be shown, and it will be shown, trust me that has a finger in the pie. It can be shown, and shall be shown, that you were paid to do it. I think I can see the looks go round the court when I adduce my evidence, and it shall appear that you, a young man of education, let yourself be corrupted to this shocking act for a suit of cast clothes, a bottle of Highland spirits, and three and fivepence halfpenny in copper money. There was a touch of truth in these words that knocked me like a blow. Clothes, a bottle of usquebaugh, and three and fivepence halfpenny in change made up, indeed, the most of what Alan and I had carried from Auchern, and I saw that some of James's people had been babbling in their dungeons you see i know more than you fancied he resumed in triumph and as for giving at this turn great mr david you must not suppose the government of great britain and ireland will ever be stuck for want of evidence we have men here in prison who will swear out their lives as we direct them as i direct if you prefer the phrase so now you are to guess your part of glory if you choose to die on the one hand life wine women and a duke to be your handgun on the other a rope to your crag and a giblet to clatter your bones on and the lousiest lowest story to hand down to your namesakes in the future that was ever told about a hired assassin And see here, he cried with a formidable shrill voice, see this paper that I pull out of my pocket. Look at the name there. It is the name of the great David. I believe the ink scarce dry yet. Can you guess its nature? It is the warrant for your arrest, which I have but to touch this bell beside me to have executed on the spot. Once in the toll booth upon this paper, may God help you for the die is cast. I must never deny that I was greatly horrified with so much baseness, and much unmanned by the immediacy and ugliness of my danger. Mr. Simon had already gloried in the changes of my hue, and I make no doubt I was now no ruddier than my shirt. My speech, besides, trembled there is a gentleman in this room cried i i appeal to him i put my life and credit in his hands pressongrain shut his book with a snap i told you so simon said he you have played your hand for all it was worth and you have lost mr david he went on i wish you to believe it was by no choice of mine that you were subjected to this proof i wish you could understand how glad i am you should come forth from it with so much credit. You may not quite see how, but it is a little of a service to myself. For had our friend here been more successful than I was last night, it might have appeared that he was a better judge of men than I. It might have appeared we were altogether in the wrong situations, Mr. Simon and myself. And I know our friend Simon to be ambitious," says he, striking lightly on Fraser's shoulder. As for this stage-play, it is over. My sentiments are very much engaged in your behalf, and whatever issue we can find to this unfortunate affair, I shall make it my business to see it is adopted with tenderness to you." These were very good words, and I could see, besides, that there was little love, and perhaps a spice of genuine ill-will, between these two who were opposed to me. For all that, it was unmistakable this interview had been designed, perhaps rehearsed, with the consent of both. It was plain my adversaries were in earnest to try me by all methods. And now, persuasion, flattery, and menaces having been tried in vain, I could not but wonder what would be their next expedient. My eyes besides, me were still troubled, and my knees loose under me with the distress of the late ordeal and I could do no more than stammer the same form of words. I put my life and credit credit in your hands. Well, well, said he, we must try to save them, and in the meanwhile let us return to gentler methods. You must not bear any grudge upon my friend, Mr. Simon, who did but speak by his brief, and even if you did conceive some malice against myself, who stood by and seemed rather to hold a candle i must not let that extend to innocent members of my family these are greatly engaged to see more of you and i cannot consent to have my young women-folk disappointed to-morrow they will be going to hope park where i think it very proper you should make your bow call for me first when i may possibly have something for your private hearing then you shall be turned abroad again under the conduct of my missus and until that time repeat to me your promise of secrecy i had done better to have instantly refused but in truth i was beside the power of reasoning did as i was bid took my leave i know not how and when i was forth again in the close and the door had shut behind me was glad to lean on a house wall and wipe my face. That horrid apparition, as I may call it, of Mr. Simon rang in my memory, as a sudden noise rings after it is over in the ear. Tales of a man's father, of his falseness, of his manifold perpetual treacheries, rose before me from all that I had heard and read, and joined on with what I had just experienced of himself. Each time it occurred to me the ingenious foulness of that calumny he had proposed to nail upon my character startled me afresh the case of the man upon the gibbet by leith walk appeared scarce distinguishable from that i was now to consider as my own to rob a child of so little more than nothing was certainly a paltry enterprise for two grown men but my own tale as it was to be represented in court by simon Fraser, appeared a fair second in every possible point of view of sordidness and cowardice the voices of two of preston grange's liveried men upon his doorstep recalled me to myself I said the one build it as fast as ye can link to the captain is that for the captain back again asked the other it what seems say returned the first hiram and sideman are seeking him i think Grange is going to get it said the second here I have james moore in bettlethams next where tis neither or fer nor mine said the first and they parted the one upon his errand and the other back into the house this looked as ill as possible i was scarce gone and they were sending already for james moore to whom i thought mr simon must have pointed when he spoke of men in prison and ready to redeem their lives by all extremities, my scalp curdled among my hair, and the next moment the blood leaped in me to remember Katrina. Poor lass! Her father stood to be hanged for pretty indefensible misconduct. What was yet more unpalatable, it now seemed he was prepared to save his four quarters by the worst of shame and the most foul of cowardly murders. Murder by the false oath, and to complete our misfortunes, it seemed myself was picked out to be the victim. I began to walk swiftly and at random, conscious only of a desire for movement, air, and the open country. End of chapter 6